you know, people are going to act like they know what they're doing a lot of the time, but we're all in the same boat. You know, you learn as you go and it is okay to be scared, but also have confidence that you're going to do okay. And it's going to be okay. And you're going to walk out of your first semester of law school going, man, that was hard, but I did it. And from then on, you know, you're used to it. You, you get used to the outlining, you get used to the work, you get used to the writing, you get used to all of it. And you just, you live and you learn, but have confidence when you're doing that. Because I definitely was not confident enough in myself first semester and I should have had more confidence. And so that's what I would say, you know, there's going to be a lot of smart people around you, but don't let that take away from the fact that you got there for a reason as well. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Under Oath, a podcast brought to you and hosted by the University of Texas at Dallas organization, Women Pursuing Law. I'm Hani Siddiqui, WPL's president. And I'm Zara Kabir, WPL's vice president. We are so excited to bring you our podcast, Under Oath. Under Oath will aim to shed light on different career paths within law, give you the chance to hear from noted speakers, and show the industry from the point of view of a woman. Under Oath will also serve as a platform dedicated to empowering women in the law industry. So if that aligns with your ideas, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Yes, and again, we're super excited to share Under Oath with you guys. Stay tuned for our first episode on international law with a special guest speaker. And see you next time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Under Oath, your destination for information on women working in the law field. Under Oath strives to create an environment that is both educational and entertaining, so we're very excited to have the opportunity to reach out to you all. I'm Ilma, and I'll be your host for today. Currently, I am a sophomore at the University of Texas at Dallas, studying global business with a concentration in economics, as well as the secretary to the Women Pursuing Law organization that focuses on creating a platform and community for women and the non-binary conforming individuals interested in law. It's no surprise that the current global climate facilitates much discussion about the nature of our international relations and law regulations pertaining to them. Today on Under Oath, we will be discussing international law. Of course, Under Oath strives to ensure quality and accurate information, so it is my honor to introduce our guest speaker for today, Emily Shackleford. Emily is currently the staff editor at Southern Methodist University International Law Review and a research assistant at the Dedman School of Law. Emily, thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Very excited. Could you please give a short introduction about yourself? Sure. So, um, yes, as she said, my name is Emily Shackleford. Um, I'm on my second year here at SMU Dedman School of Law. So, um, yes, I work for a professor currently. I've worked for three professors in the past. Currently, I work for one with a focus on gender law um, and gender discrimination in the law. Um, And as far as international law review goes, um, I just recently started that position because you can't start until your second year. um, And that's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot about a lot about the EU. I've had a lot of focus on the EU, which has been really interesting. And so that's what I'm currently doing. So that sounds so interesting. I actually did a lot of research about the EU in uh, previous school years. So that's really exciting. Can you tell us a little bit about what you think is the most redeeming aspect of working with the International Law Review? 
Oh, gosh. Um, I guess that so far, I've definitely loved the freedom of we have a lot of freedom over picking, which we do a topic called a case note in the first semester and then a comment in the second semester. And you get a lot of freedom of what you want to pick for it. And so I actually really lucked out and found a really interesting topic, once again, out of the EU on um, I have an interest in employment law. And so recently, the EU's Court of Justice ruled on um, LGBTQ employment in Europe and balancing, um, they call it freedom of expression, but essentially freedom of speech here versus um, freedom to work. And so there are certain limitations that don't really exist here on your freedom of expression when speaking about hiring LGBTQ employees, um, which is a really long-winded way to say that they recently just had an incredible ruling for the LGBTQ community. And it's been really exciting to write on that. Um, next semester, not 100% what I'm going to write on um, because we do have so much freedom. But I have a really big interest in art law, actually. That's just like my side interest. Um, I've gotten to take a class on it at SMU, and it was a whole lot of fun. But it's a lot of international treaties and laws, particularly pertaining to property, of course. Um, but also there's special laws surrounding things like artifacts. And so I plan on hopefully getting to write on a treaty or an agreement about some international law piece. So I'm really excited for that. Emily is actually one of the most qualified people that I have ever had the opportunity to speak to. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your internships and clerkship experiences? Sure. Um, so, gosh, I guess I've, I've done quite a bit, but particularly over the summer, of course, I worked for three professors, um, and one of them, well, two of them, really, I did research on virtual hearings and virtual juries in our coronavirus world. Um, before that, I had done a lot of research on juries, in particular, something called a Batson Challenge, which is actually, um, so you have multiple phases of selecting a jury. And after you get through the initial phase of calling people in, you go into voir dire, voir dire, depending on where you live in Texas, it's voir dire. Um, Got to have a little accent on it. But <laughs> um, during that phase, there's something called a peremptory challenge. And that is where a lawyer can essentially say, I don't want this person on the jury and they don't have to give a reason. Well, technically, though, you can't discriminate based on things like race or sex when you're doing that. So if a lawyer on the other side notices, hey, that person has struck all of the people of color in this room, they can raise something called a Batson challenge, which is where, you know, you stand up and you declare a Batson challenge and you say what you think has been going on. And then the other lawyer has a chance to respond. And so with that comes a lot of questions about, you know, is the lawyer telling the truth when they have that chance to respond? Um, you know, what, what are they saying that they're basing this selection on and so recently actually another podcast suggestion for our podcast listeners um if that's something that's interesting to you um jury discrimination which i mean is definitely a big topic right now with everything going on in the world um apm in the dark podcast season two on curtis flowers um would definitely recommend it it's a whole season on this man named curtis flowers who was tried six times for the same crime um and a lot of those challenges to his sentencing had to do with Batson challenges and it made it all the way to the Supreme Court last year um, and so would highly recommend he finally was released and they've decided not to try him for a seventh time that was just announced about two weeks ago so highly recommend that podcast if you're interested in that at all. <laughs> 
Emily, if you don't mind me asking, how did you get interested in working with law? Well, so I actually walked into undergrad thinking either I was going to do law or I was going to do teaching, which are a bit different. And I loved my time teaching. Um, you know, I loved the kids that I taught. I'm still in contact with them because they were seniors and they are such sweet kids. They're doing great things with their life. But I realized that if I was going to be able to effectuate change, I wanted to be able to do it more on the front lines you know, I loved listening to them and I loved being able to be there for them. But sometimes it was really frustrating going, there is a solution for this and I can't do it for you yet. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go into law to be able to effectuate more of those changes for the people that needed it. In doing that, in having that change, do you think that you faced any difficulties being a woman in the field? Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, I say that. So this is one of my areas of study. Um, so generally right now, law schools are 50-50 men, women um, walking in. So it's a very exciting time to be in law as a woman. Mm -hmm. um, of course, we did just lose our big woman champion this last week. Rest in peace, RBG. But it's a very exciting time because, you know, I mean, the doors are open for women to make big changes just like RBG did. And that's really exciting. Would you give any particular pieces of advice to our women listeners and our non-binary identifying listeners for how they can pursue a career, particularly one in international law, if you can? Sure. Um, so the biggest thing that I've learned about, well, two of the biggest things. Number one is that there are a lot of stats out there that say that women won't apply for a position if they don't meet all of the qualifications, but men will. So just apply. You know, the worst that they can say is no. And then you come back and you try again. But the worst that they can say is no, but you might surprise yourself because people don't realize the things that they have going for them on their application until, you know, they're in an interview and somebody asks a really interesting question. So apply, even if you don't think, you know, that you meet one or two of the qualifications, that is something big that I learned. Um, another thing for international law or really any area of law, but particularly for international is get out there and network, meet people, you know, people are going to know people. And I have been so overwhelmed by the support that I've had from the law community, uh, you know, when I have questions or when I want to talk about a particular profession, somebody knows somebody that can get you connected and they will be happy to do so because they are so supportive of law students. I'd also like to mention that there are multiple opportunities for our listeners to pursue, such as internships that are remote with the UN, the Human Rights Watch, and even pursuing internships with study abroad programs something that I would highly recommend for our listeners who are interested in pursuing international relations or international law. I'm personally interested in pursuing a career in diplomacy, which is why I'm also interested in international law at the same time. And I would like to ask you if there was one thing you could change about your journey to get here, what do you think it would be and why? Oh gosh, that's a hard one. Um, I mean, I've really loved my journey thus far. I guess, I guess I would say be confident in yourself would be the one thing that I would change. Um, law school is really daunting, right? And I mean, a lot of them, you're graded on curves and everybody in your class is going to be really smart. It's just a fact of life. You know, they're at law school for a reason. They're all really smart. And so I walked in thinking that I would not be, you know, I would not have good grades, that I would not be at the top of the curve, so on and so forth, because you look around and you're kind of intimidated. But don't, don't let that get to you. Don't let the imposter syndrome get to you. You know, people are going to act like they know what they're doing a lot of the time, but we're all in the same boat. 
you know, you learn as you go and it is okay to be scared, but also have confidence that you're going to do okay. And it's going to be okay. And you're going to walk out of your first semester of law school going, man, that was hard, but I did it. And from then on, you know, you're used to it. You, you get used to the outlining, you get used to the work, you get used to the writing, you get used to all of it. And you just, you live and you learn, but have confidence when you're doing that. Because I definitely was not confident enough in myself first semester and I should have had more confidence. And so that's what I would say, you know, there's going to be a lot of smart people around you, but don't let that take away from the fact that you got there for a reason as well. So what's next, Emily? What do you think is your next major goal? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Um, I mean, right now it's very much focused on just getting through this semester. Um, the way that coronavirus has changed um, law firm recruiting and things like that, this semester matters a lot for 2Ls, mostly around the entire nation. Um, but after that, I mean, I guess I'm just taking it one day at a time, but I would really like to, you know, secure a spot for this summer. And I'm also really looking into um, new scholarship that I can write, particularly because I mean, I love research and writing. It's one of my favorite things. Um, and so I guess I've gotten more interested recently in more of the virtual hearings and things like that. And I've gotten an opportunity to speak on them. And so towards, you know, the end of 2020, I'd like to go back and see if any of the predictions, you know, that we had predicted for virtual juries have come true and what that's going to look like and maybe try and join in on some scholarship for that, either with one of my professors or with somebody on law review to be able to author something on that. So mm -hmm. in that same thought, talking about coronavirus, how do you think that's going to change how international law looks and even how domestic law might look? Mm, good question. I mean, definitely with the the widespread use of Zoom, that has, of course, changed things. But in some ways, it's going to make it almost easier for international lawyers, mm -hmm. just because, you know, you have all of this technology now that people have gotten used to, to be able to jump on a video call instead of having to take the 10-hour flight to somewhere else, to somewhere new. Um, so that is nice. Um, and, you know, I mean, courts are looking at this too. And so where you're having courts that aren't necessarily having jury trials, where you're just looking at a bench trial with multiple judges, mm -hmm. judges have gotten really adept at Zo using Zoom and are, you know, training more and more every day was, has been my experience this summer with working with judges. And so I definitely predict in the future that particularly with some of these international cases that they might continue to be virtual and continue to run in a virtual setting, which in some ways will be nice because, you know, when you need witnesses or you need to call in somebody, you don't have to fly them out. You just tell them to hop on a Zoom link. And so that's really nice. Do you think that there might be some issues with security in utilizing Zoom or do you think they might create their own platform for international law? How do you think that the future looks? So I've actually talked with some lawyers about this because there have been a couple of Zoom bombed jury trials. Um, and it definitely takes a lot of work on the judges in to learn what settings to put. I mean, of course, you know, there's the passcode for Zooms and things like that that have come out. But they also have to deal with, you know, I mean, you have to have a waiting room. You have to have everybody muted to where nobody can, you know, hop on and start yelling. They can't turn themselves off mute. You have to have settings about share screen and things like that to try and keep um, a certain level of security there. I don't know if they'll create their own. I guess it just kind of depends on 
how much they start to use Zoom, whether they find it worth their time to invest in that software. Um, I do know that Microsoft has also started looking at creating some type of trial software that they are working with the state of Arizona right now to use. Um, and so they might also jump in that market. Not sure. It just depends on how these Arizona trial test runs go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see them jumping in the market as well and it becoming more of a market to get these international platforms using their video technology. Do you think that there might be some barriers to entry in that sense that there are some international lawyers in places where technology is not as strong? How do you think that they will address these kinds of situations? That That's a really good question. I mean, that's that's even an issue right now in you know, rural America and things like that when they're trying to do these virtual trials. Um, and, you know, I honestly don't have an answer for that. Um, I mean, it's going to, you know, if they decide to start doing that, it's going to take spreading internet access and you know, it, it'll all, that'll all shake out. I don't really have the answer for that one. Um, you know, we're living in an unknown world and hopefully they'll figure it out. (laughs) Well, Emily, uh, thank you so much for speaking with me today. It was really enlightening to have your experience as not only a woman in law, but someone who does have experiences across multiple forms of law and has a lot to teach and a lot to learn I really appreciate this. Thank you so much for speaking with me and our listeners today. Of course. And I can't wait for our listeners to hear all about your take and experiences in international law. We hope this experience was enlightening to all of you as well. So on this episode of Under Oath, we hope all of our listeners were able to gain a clear understanding about what international law entails, especially for those of us who are women and non-binary conforming. As always, this is Under Oath, and I rest my case. Thank you.